we're going to be in the book of Ephesians. Um, as I've had opportunity uh, to be in front of you, uh, mostly when Joe is gone, um, he always seems to leave when it's my turn to preach. I'll try not to take it too personally, at least for a while. Um, but I've, we've been going through the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in chapter 3 today. So if you, as you turn there, um, if you have your Bibles, if you don't have a Bible, if you don't own a good English translation, um, we have Bibles that we want to give to you. Actually, the, okay, never mind, the table is empty, but we have some, so see me, see me after church. We just want to give Bibles away because we want people to have a good Bible and a good English translation, and so if you need one, uh, come talk to me. We have some to give you, and tomorrow I will re Uh, put some on the table back there. Um, But as we get going, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about tangents. Okay, do you know someone, do you have someone in your life that goes off on tangents in the conversation where you think you're talking about something and nobody, stop looking at me, all right? (laughs) But, But where you're talking about something and then they get reminded of something else. And then you just, you're going, and you're like, what does this have to do with anything? Okay, my, uh, I think Brent Fox, uh, a friend of mine, uh, used this phrase. He had some people who just couldn't land the plane of the conversation. And he'd be like, dude, just land the plane, okay? Get to what we're talking about. Okay, now some of you, uh, if you've ever been in, in either Sunday school, youth group, or small group, especially small group, with me, I have been known to do a tangent or two, and it's something that all teachers have to deal with, of staying on topic, of, of when you're reminded of something, to stick to it. And today, we're going to see a tangent by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is going to go off on a tangent. Now, unlike many of my tangents, this one will be for our good and edification in understanding the gospel and the implication it has in our life. And from now on, if I ever go on a tangent, I'm just going to blame the Apostle Paul. So don't blame me if I ever go on a tangent. So let's read. We'll read Ephesians 3. We're going to read verses 1 to 12. And then we'll go back through and, and look at the text a little more closely. So Ephesians 3, verses 1 through 12. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though... I am the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ 
and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. And so Paul, in this next section of the letter, begins it by saying, for this reason. Now, in other times, as we've been going through Ephesians, we've talked about thises, right? Some of you might remember this. There are two thises in your Bible. One this points forward, so this thing I'm about to say, and one points backward, this thing that I just said. Okay, and this this, I love saying that, never gets old, this this points back. So the first thing we need to see is what is he pointing back to? And he's pointing back to chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. Look at that. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So when he says, for this reason, he's saying, because all believers are brought into one people of God. Okay, so that is prompting what he is going to say. Now, whenever Paul says, for this reason, in this way, he usually is going to start a prayer or a section of thanking God for whoever he's writing to. And so when he says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, what we expect is something like, I thank God for you, or I thank God for your love and faith, or I'm praying for you this. Okay? And it comes in verse 14. Look at verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And so... After he says, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, that reminds him of something. And he thinks of something else. And he comes back to it in verse 14. And so our section of text today is a tangent. He's reminded by something he said that is so important. He needs to stop what he's doing and talk about something for a while. So let's see what that is. So we're going to see it in two Um, We're going to see in two parts. And Paul identifies himself, notice this, as a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. So he's in prison because of Jesus. And in some way, this has to do with the Gentile, the non-Jewish audience that he's writing to. And identifying himself this way, he thinks of something else. And so we're going to see it in two ways. We're going to see his message. He's going to talk about his message. And he's going to talk about his mission. Okay? His message is in verses 2 to 6. Let's read that again. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, 
which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So when Paul says, I'm a prisoner for Jesus for you Gentiles, he's reminded of the message God has given him. And we're going to see this in three ways. We're going to first see a message of grace. Then we're going to see a mysterious message. And then we're going to see the full content of the message. First, let's look at a message of grace. That this message at its heart is God's grace. Look at verse 2. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. The stewardship of God's grace. What does that mean? That Paul has been given a responsibility to talk about God's grace. Okay, so that's the first thing we learn about this message, is that it's a message about God's grace, and that he has a certain responsibility to that message. And, and as I go on, let me, let me make a quick point of application here. We're going to see more about what Paul's responsibility is, but in the same way that Paul has a responsibility to talk about God's grace, we have that same responsibility. And that's one of the ways we need to think about our understanding of this message. That we understand God's grace and that there is a responsibility to do something with it. And, and, and these are the terms in which he begins to talk about his message. That he's like, I have a responsibility to this message. And we have a responsibility. Just like we talk about we need to be good stewards of our money, you know, we talk like that sometimes, and that's a totally great way to talk about our money, that we have a responsibility to use it for God's glory. In the same way, we are stewards of God's grace, that we have a responsibility to talk about God's grace, to share God's grace, to do something with God's grace. But it's also a message of grace because even in the act of giving this message to Paul, that's an act of grace. Notice what he says. You've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. That it was given by God. That even the responsibility is God showing his grace to us. So your responsibility, Paul's responsibility to the message of God's grace, is grace also. So the responsibility is a gift. Now, how many times do we think about that, that responsibility is a gift? But that's what Paul is saying here, that his responsibility to grace is in of itself a gift of grace. Next, we're going to see that this message is a mysterious message and i'll explain what that means but let's look at verses three through five look with me how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as i have written briefly when you read this you can perceive my insight into the mystery of christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the spirit so paul's beginning to unpack what this message is and he begins by saying it's a mystery that was revealed. 
Well, first of all, we need to think revealed by who? Well, it's revealed by God. Okay, when it says by revelation, okay, one of the common misconceptions is that the word revelation means end, right? Maybe when you, when you were a kid reading through the Bible, okay, the last book is called Revelation, so revelation must mean the end, okay? Or the word apocalypse means the end. No, no, no. What it actually means is just that it's been revealed, that it's been shown, and that this message has been shown by God. And when he says mystery, okay, we're not talking you know, clue, where Professor Plum in the library with a candlestick, okay, nothing to do with that here. And it's not something that can't be known, like, oh, that's a mystery, we'll never know. But when the Bible uses the term mystery, this is how it uses it. Something that was not known previously, but is known now. Right? So when you see mystery in the Bible, and it comes up quite a bit, Okay? It's something not known before, but it's always something that is now known or is about to be made known. Okay? So don't, don't be uh, confused by that. And then Paul also says that his writings are brief. I think Paul might be the only one who thinks that. Um, thanks for that chuckle. Um, but then when he says, when you read this, when you read this letter, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. So not only is this message something that was not known before, but is known now, but at the center of this message is Jesus. That if you want to summarize what this message is, a good place to start is with Jesus. That at the center of God's plan for the universe is Jesus Christ. And it was made known to the apostles and the prophets, meaning God's spokesman. That God is a God who talks to us through his spokesman, through his Bible, through Paul at this time. And so one of the things I want us to see here is that God is revealing his plan through the scripture. And we are, we are completely blessed because we live this side of, of the cross. We see things so much clearer. Okay, everybody before Jesus was looking forward to Jesus, but they didn't know they were looking forward to Jesus specifically. They got some ideas from the Old Testament, but when you look back at the Old Testament, then you can really see, yeah, that's Jesus. Okay, that's, I get it. You know, it's like going to the end of the book and then starting, right? But, we need to recognize that it's an extreme blessing to live when God's message for the world is so clear. That we understand the gospel more clearly than Isaiah. Because Isaiah didn't really know about Jesus, and we do. And that's an amazing thing, to to think that we know more about the gospel than one of the prophets of the Old Testament. That's an extreme blessing. Let's also look at the content of the message. Look at verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So through the gospel, the Gentiles have equal status as a part of God's people. Now, this is not very shocking to us as pretty much everybody here is a Gentile. 
Okay, but this, this would have blown minds during Paul's time. That the Gentiles have equal status before God as the Jews, God's chosen people. This would have gone against everything in culture. And this is, in fact, one of the first major conflicts in the early church. The problem was Gentiles are believing in Jesus. <gasps> what do we do? If you read through the book of Acts, you see it every chapter. What do we do? These people want to believe in Jesus, but they're different from us. And we need to appreciate the culture-shattering equality that is achieved through the gospel. That all people, all types of people, can have the same status before God as the Jewish people, as the people who received the Old Testament. That the gospel breaks down divisions between us. That the gospel gives an equality that has never been known before. That we all stand before God as members of one body, as inheriting the same as everyone. That we all share in the inheritance of heaven together, regardless of how we look or how much money we have or who our parents were. That the gospel gives culture-shattering equality. So when Paul was thinking about his time in prison, he was reminded of how great the message he was given. He was reminded of how great God's grace through Jesus on the cross was. And now he's going to look at his mission. So not only was he given this message, but now we're going to see more of what he's supposed to do with it. Let's look at verses 7 to 12. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So the first thing I want us to see is that God, that Paul is made a minister of the gospel by God's grace and his power. Verses 7 and the beginning of verse 8. Look with me. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. Paul does not think he deserves the ministry he's been given. He views the ministry that he is supposed to do as a gift of God's grace. So by way of application, we don't deserve the ministries that we're involved in. 
that serving in our church is a gift of God's grace. Now, when was the last time you thought nursery duty or Awana duty was a gift of grace? But that's what Paul says. Paul says when you serve the church, when you serve God's people, when you serve in God's mission, that the fact that God is even including you in his plan for the world is a gift of grace. From preaching to nursery to Awana to small group to a deacon board, whatever, you, you pick. But that is God showing his grace to you. You see great humility in Paul. The man who wrote more books of the Bible than anyone else calls himself the least of the saints. He understood grace. He understood that none of us deserve it. And that he saw his ministry, and we need to see our ministry that we do as a gift. Now, I want to ask the question this way. Will you allow that to change how you serve in the church? Will you allow the fact that your work among God's people is itself grace to you? Will you allow that to change your life today? And maybe that means there are places you need to serve. Maybe that means you need to give something up so you can give your life more to something else. I don't know what that means for each of you, but I think that needs to change how we serve and how we carry out God's mission into the world. That telling someone about the gospel is grace to you, not just grace to them. That, that when you tell someone about how Jesus died for their sins, and that they can be reconciled to God. That's God showing you grace. And I think that needs to affect how we view, how we serve. But Paul also says that he was made a minister by the power of God. That behind his ministry is God's power. And behind your ministry is God's power. That God equips us with gifts to do ministry. That it's not, you're not alone. That God is empowering you. So don't worry about talking to teenagers or controlling nursery kids. Well, one, the, the controlling nursery kids can't be done. But, <laughs> but we do all these things through God's power, so it's doable so we can have hope that we are actually doing good ministry, that we can survive a year of Awana, that we can survive a week of VBS. God is more powerful than all those things. Next, Paul talks specifically about his mission. In the second part of verse 8 and verse 9, we see that Paul's mission is to spread the gospel. To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches 
of Christ. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. To preach to Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. To preach to the nations. Okay, in the Jewish mind, there were Jewish people and non-Jewish people. Right? That, that's it. That's how they divided their lives. And so when it says to the Gentiles, he's pretty much just talking about everybody who's not a Jew. So pretty much means everybody. So we might say to the nations to help us understand that, that better in, in, in an age where there's so many different nations and people groups. But to preach to the nations. And what is he preaching? The riches of Christ. He's trying to highlight how great and awesome and worth, how much worth there is in the gospel. And sometimes we domesticate the gospel and it's just like, oh yeah, I believe. Yeah, you can take it or leave it. But it's the riches of Christ. Okay, if we had a bank vault full of money and we were rich and just had gobs and gobs of money, we'd treat it a certain way, wouldn't we? We'd make sure nobody stole it, right? We'd protect it. We'd watch it. We'd hang around it maybe, okay? In somewhat of a similar way, the gospel is the greatest treasure on earth, and we need to treat it that way, and we need to share it that way. And then he sort of repeats himself in verse 9. He says, to bring to light for everyone, for everyone, again, underscoring that point, that this message is for all people, whether we like them or not. And to bring to light, light is used in the scriptures to talk about truth, holiness, um, purity, glory, to bring people out of darkness into his marvelous light. And that light is for everyone. Next, we spread the gospel so that God would be known. Sorry, let me back up. When we preach the gospel, we also show God's plan. Look at verse, the end of verse 9 there. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So when we share the gospel, we're not just sharing some cute message. We're sharing God's plan for the entire universe. And at the center of that plan is Jesus and his death on the cross. And it is showing people how to be reconciled to the God of the universe. And how does he describe God here? The God who created all things. The reason... The reason that the gospel is for everyone is because God created everyone. There's no one here that God did not create. And so we see how creation, how a good understanding of God creating all things ties in with the message of salvation. That since God created all people, all people need to worship him and be reconciled to him. So if he's the God who just creates some things, then not everybody needs to hear the message. Okay, back in the time of Paul in the Bible, you sort of had your own country gods, right? So if we were talking about this today, so like Australia has their own god, 
Uh, Egypt has their own God. The United States has their own God. And gods were regional, right? So if you left a border of a country, you had to start worshiping another God. And you, you can see this in your Old Testament. But what God is saying, I'm not just a regional God. I'm the God of all creation. And so everyone needs to hear my message of grace. And we are a part of God's mission to his own world, to all people in his own world. Now we'll get to spreading the gospel so that God would be known. Look at verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. The so that there shows the purpose or the result of what's going on. So the reason he's preaching gospel is so that or for the purpose that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to who the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is, this is a reference to the spiritual powers that exist, uh, both good and bad. Um, what is more on light is the bad spiritual powers that exist. And it's sort of saying that when we preach the gospel, we show those powers that they lost, is the idea. But notice that it's through the church, through the assembly of God's people, that that is how the manifold wisdom of God is known. God's kingdom is expanded through the church. And through the physical manifestation of the global church, which is the local church. So do you want to expand God's kingdom? How do you do that? By sharing the gospel so that people believe and then invite them to be a part of your church. We most show the glory of the kingdom not by bringing all the believers together and seeing how many we have, but rather by adding to those believers. Let me say that again. We most show the glory of the kingdom not by bringing all the believers together and seeing how many we have, but rather by adding to those believers. Bringing people into God's family shows the manifold wisdom of God. So when you share the gospel with a friend or neighbor or family member, you are spreading the wisdom of God. And how is this done? This is done through the purposing of God. Look at verse 11. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. What's the idea there? That God has a plan and is in control. That's an easy truth to know, but it is a difficult truth to live out. We can all say that we believe in the sovereignty of God, but yet when it comes to living that out, it is so difficult. But that is the God of the Bible. The God who is in control of all things. That everything happens 
according to his purpose. It's not just that everything sort of works out the way God might have wanted it, but it was his purpose. Excuse me. And it's done through Jesus Christ. Again, we see the centrality, the focus on Jesus. No other way. And because of all of this, we can approach God's throne through faith. Look at verse 12. In whom, in Jesus, we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Access to whom? God the Father. Okay. One of my favorite verses of the Bible, Hebrews 4.16. Hebrews 4.16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That through the gospel, we are able to enter God's throne room. That the picture of God sitting on his throne. Okay, read Revelation 4 and 5. Read Isaiah. You get pictures of God on his throne. And it's glorious. And we have access into that through faith, through Christ. Why is he talking about all this? Why does he go on this tangent? Why did, when he was talking about being a prisoner for Jesus, for the Ephesians, why, why did he start talking about the gospel and his mission? He talks about this because he doesn't want them to be discouraged that he's in jail. Look at verse 13. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. It is tempting to think that when there is something wrong happens to someone or when someone just says something wrong and, and they suffer that we think it's their fault. And, and sometimes that's true. Sometimes when we sin, God allows us to experience the consequences of that sin. But Paul, when Paul calls himself a prisoner for Christ Jesus, it's a prisoner for Jesus, he is showing us that the reason he's suffering is because of his belief in Jesus. And what he's teaching them is that when we suffer for Jesus, God uses that suffering for his glory and the good of others. So by way of application, when you suffer, when you go through hard times, your suffering has meaning. And when there's meaning, there's hope. As I was preparing for this message, it reminded me of, of when I was in seminary. I worked at a local YMCA as a lifeguard. And a lot of times I would work with either um, upper high school age kids or, or some college students. And, and one guy in particular was in a comparative religions class. And, and so I, I, I oftentimes help them study because uh, 
there was one thing I was ever good at, it was school. Um, not many other things, but school, I gotcha. Um, but so he was studying uh, Eastern religions, Buddhism, Hinduism, those sorts of things. And one of the big differences in Eastern religions and Christianity is their concept of time. Okay? And, and in an Eastern concept of time, it's cyclical. Right? So the same thing just sort of always happens, but it never really goes anywhere. Right? So you think about the seasons. Uh, winter, spring, summer, fall. Winter, spring, summer, fall. Winter, spring, summer, fall. Winter, spring, summer, fall. Right? That's cyclical time. But in the Bible, we get a picture of linear time. That there's a beginning. Stuff happens in the middle. And there's an end. Right? And the reason we can have hope, okay, so God created all things. Humanity screwed it up. God sent Jesus. And then what do we look forward to? We look forward to the last day when Christ returns. And we have hope because there's this this end goal. There's this point in time to which we look forward to. And so... What that reminded me of is when we suffer for Jesus, there's a point. There's an end. There's a goal. And so our suffering isn't meaningless. Okay, if you, if, if you, if you study Eastern religions, you see with a cyclical view of time, you just feel like everything's meaningless. It's not going anywhere. And so you don't have hope. But we have hope because we're looking forward to a goal, a final time. So when we think about our suffering, we know there's a point. And, and when Paul talks about the glory of the Ephesians, he's referencing that through his suffering, they heard about Jesus, and that is the ultimate good, and it secured for them an eternal and final glory. So even him being in jail is for their glory because through it they heard the message so that they can now look forward to a final glory, a final time to be with God in paradise forever. So when Paul talks about his message to show how great it is and that it's worth the suffering, He talks about his ministry to show that God's hand is in control of all things. He tells all of this to the Ephesians so that they won't be discouraged and will continue to trust in God. How are you going to trust God today and not lose heart? That as we see the message of God's grace and we see God's hand in control of the mission that we've been given, And that through the gospel, we have access into the throne room of grace. Don't lose heart. Don't be discouraged. There's hope. I want to close this way. I made sort of a list to sort of summarize today. Here's a list of why not to be discouraged today. Because the gospel is so great. 
because it's the riches of Christ, because it's the way to be reconciled to God. Because the gospel is offered to all people, even you, even me. Because the God who offers grace has everything according to his plan. Everything in this universe happens according to God's plan. Our God is in control. No other God can say that. Because God gave the mission to Paul and to us and showed us grace by including us in his plan. That even the responsibility and the ministries and gifts we've been given are acts of grace. And that suffering is a part of our job. And God giving us suffering, even that's an act of grace. And so there's a point to your suffering. There's a point to your hard times. There is meaning here in God's word through the gospel. We should not be discouraged because God gave Paul to the Gentiles and he put people in our lives so that we could hear the gospel. You should not be discouraged because God put somebody in your life or many people in your life so that you could hear about the good news and hope in Jesus Christ. God took care of you. Look at God's sovereign hand in your life. Because God gave Paul to the Gentiles and put people in our lives because that we don't lose heart because we can confidently and boldly approach the God of the universe. That little us, because of how great the gospel is, we can boldly approach the God of the universe. In Sunday school today, uh, we're going through the Psalms with the, with the youth. And first three words of the Psalm was, Help, O Lord. Could have just ended the psalm right there. Could have just read that a couple times. Probably better than anything I would have said or did say. Probably went on too many tangents. But when life feels like that, where all we can get out of our mouths is help, O Lord. That we actually cry out to a God who can do something about it. God is described as being on a throne. The king of the universe. That's the guy we're calling out to. Someone who can actually do something about it. We should not lose heart. And we should not be discouraged when we suffer. Or when others suffer. It is to the glory of the Ephesians that through the ministry of Paul, which includes suffering and imprisonment, they have been able to hear the gospel, which is their hope, and future, and their final glory. And when we believe in the gospel, when we trust in Christ, we can endure suffering because we look forward to a final glory. Don't lose heart. Don't be discouraged. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this spirit-guided tangent of Paul. 
that you gave him a message of grace that all can come to know you through Jesus Christ and that you, have, you gave Paul and us today a mission to spread that gospel. And since we know you have given the message and you have given us the mission, we do not lose heart. We are not discouraged because of your grace and your power. God, we thank you for this reminder today that we would live every day in full trust of you, looking forward to the hope of our final glory. Praise in your name. Amen. Let's stand and close in song.